This is a summary of my interview with Janice Kovach, who is the mayor of the town of Clinton, not to be confused with Clinton Township. Her form of mayoral position is considered strong in that she is elected directly as the mayor and she is the council manager or considered the business manager who runs the town. She sees her role as being responsible for oversight of finances and really managing a lot of infrastructure. She says it's not sexy and fun, it's a get your hands dirty job. That's all about health and public safety. She not only gets to talk to kids at school and perform weddings, she is also responsible for things like the water and sewer for both Clinton Township and other municipalities that they have oversight of. She's able to make all the appointments, which she bases on seniority, and figures out who understands government and infrastructure the most, as that is really important to operating the town in an efficient manner. Continue listening to learn more. Welcome to 60 Second Democracy, uh, where we break down the roles and responsibilities of our elected officials in the hopes of promoting more civic engagement. So really excited to have you join me today. Well, thank you for having uh, me. Yeah, I would love to start off just uh, with a little bit about your name, your background, the place you represent. Sure. So and, Janice yeah. Kovach, I am the mayor for the town of Clinton. Uh, we're 1.3 square miles, about 2,700 residents. I am in my third term, uh, finishing up my 12th year, and up for re-election this year. Wow. Amazing. Uh, I'm learning new things about... Uh, <laughs> My local area all the time, so yeah, it's fun. I had no idea about. how many people were in yes. Clinton. Uh, what inspired you to uh, get into local elected office or become the mayor? You know, it's interesting. I've always uh, been fascinated by politics. Uh, I took a couple of poli-sci classes in college. I worked on a couple of campaigns. I was down at Rutgers in New Brunswick, so I worked on a couple of campaigns there and was always intrigued with how it worked. Um, obviously, in, in some places, it's more of a machine, and there's a, a system in place. But what I really was intrigued by was the, the public service piece of it and seeing how something that you do can have a positive impact on someone's life or multiple people, whatever it may be. So, um, you know, I come from the corporate world. I worked there for a number of years. And when I was having my children, I was home and needed to do something else, and, and this was a way to give back. And I grew up in Clinton, so I graduated Clinton Public in North Hunterdon. So for me, it was giving back to a community that had literally raised me. That's really lovely. And had you ever done any other form of elected office prior to mayor? So the first time I ran, I ran for council in 2003. Um, there were three individuals running on one ticket and no one running against them. So three of us decided, like, people need a choice. So we decided, three of us decided to run as well. Uh, what, the seats up were mayor and two council. I was running for a council seat. And uh, we knocked every door, you know, and uh, two of us won. So I served on council for just under three years. I did run for the state assembly in 2005, uh, did not win but was asked by Governor Corzine at that time to run the New Jersey Division on Women. So I got senatorial appointment, uh, gubernatorial appointment, senatorial courtesy, and served as the director of the Division on Women for four years. The next administration came in, and obviously, because it's an appointed position, um, you know, each administration brings in their own. So I left that and 
uh, I was trying to try figure out kind of the next steps and there were some things going on in town that I wasn't thrilled with. So uh, the interesting story is the former mayor for the town of Clinton, Allie McGarren, she's since passed away, was also my eighth grade social studies teacher. Wow. And what was nice is I knew her as a student, but then I got to know her as an adult and as a friend. And one of her favorite things to always say was, Janice, and she's her teacher voice, you can complain and be part of the problem or you can step up to the plate and be part of the solution. So she kind of put you in that position where I was like, yeah, you know, it's put up or shut up. And um, so I decided to run for mayor at that time and have been serving since. I did a little stint running for Congress in 2014 because I didn't have enough on my plate. And, you know, I just, I love what I do. I love the people, I love the community. I love that story. What a full circle moment with your uh, social studies teacher. Yes. That's, uh, that's pretty fantastic. Just to begin, mm-hmm. and, and this is lovely because you have some, some background experience here, yes. but uh, in your words, what does a mayor do? Well, it depends on the town you're in. So New Jersey has 564 municipalities. There are multiple forms of government. So there's a township committee, which is Union Township. There is a borough council, which is a, uh, a weak mayor, strong council. Mayor doesn't vote. There is the old city council form of government, which is what we are. Um, it is the, the mayor has a strong voice, has a vote, sets the agenda. Um, you also have council manager, where the business manager runs the, count, the town and the council just kind of says yes to everything. You have Faulkner towns, which are towns where the mayors don't actually sit in on the meeting, but are more of the executive branch and the council's the legislative branch. So depending on which town we're talking about determines what you're actually going to be doing. But here in Clinton, you know, really what I'm responsible for is oversight of our finances, you know, ensuring that we are fiscally responsible because while we collect all of the taxes, only about 25% stays with the town. The rest goes to the school in the county. We also run a water and a sewer utility that provides services to not just Clinton, but other municipalities. So we have oversight of that. A lot of it is infrastructure. You know, it, it's it's not the sexy, fun stuff to always do, but it is the, you know, get your hands dirty, understand what's important because everyone wants clean water. It's all about health and public safety. I do get to do fun stuff. I get to spend time at the school talking to students. Uh, I get to perform weddings, which I always love to do. And what's nice is I can do it anywhere in the state. So if someone wants to get married, it doesn't have to be in the town of Clinton. I can go anywhere. I sit on a number of committees. So the way we work is we have uh, committees that will look at what's happening in town. So it could be our road infrastructure. It could be our water or sewer infrastructure. It's three council members because then it's not a quorum. And then what happens is the council or the committee makes a recommendation to council and council will vote on it. So an example would be we need to do some new infrastructure. We received a million dollar grant from the federal government two years ago for our sewer mains, which need to be updated. So uh, we need to get that in that in place and rolling. Obviously, some of the costs will be borne from the soft costs for the engineering. It's understanding all of the infrastructure that that has to happen. Um, it's easy to kind of sit there and run meetings, but when you're dealing with engineers, you're dealing with developers, you need to know what you're talking about. And they need to know that we care just as much. 
you know sometimes it's oh this is a small town we can do what we want here and it doesn't work that way you know we care about our community and we want everyone who's going to be here to be good residents good stewards of the properties yeah that's interesting uh sounds like also a challenge many homeowners facing right learning how to manage yes. your contractors well oh yes it's always so much fun uh, also, just because uh, I'm always trying to make sure I'm defining things, you mentioned uh, the idea of a quorum, where yes. you were saying you have three members in there. Could you explain that for the audience? So there, for my council, there are uh, seven of us. I, it's myself and six council members. A quorum would be four of us together, and that would be considered, we'd have to do it as an open public meeting, make sure that the public is aware that we're four of us are gathering. Um, and that doesn't include, like, if you're having a party, or you're going to an event where everyone is going to be there. It's, it's where any potential business, town business, could be discussed is, you know, what you have to make sure that you're careful with. So three is not a quorum. So three council members can meet with staff, with our engineers, to work through the details of, you know, looking at the reports, making the recommendations that then come back to council. Otherwise, all of us would be in meetings literally eight hours a day. And speaking of the council, how are all those roles and responsibilities divided up amongst the council? So I make all the appointments. Obviously, we try to base it on some of it on seniority, people who have been here and who have who understand a little bit more. And this is a lot for anyone to take in, especially if you have no experience in government, number one, in government or Jersey government, or number two, on infrastructure. You know, people will come in. And we don't use general accounting procedures when we do our finances. So everyone runs, you know, an accountant comes in and looks at how we, we our, our budgets are done, and they're like, this makes no sense. It's because about 70% of our budget is already set through state statute. We really only control about 30 to 40% of it, depending on, you know, kind of what's happening. Um, the rest of it is all mandated by, by the state. You know, it could be pensions. It could be your health benefits. It could be contract negotiations. And the, what we're required to do. And that sort of directive coming from the state, that's sort of saying, here's a budget, certain percentages need to be spent in certain ways, or here are literal line items and the money here, has to go to these things? Here are line items that you need to account for in your budget. And gotcha. you need to make sure, you know, every town needs to have some sort of a public works. You, if you don't have a public works, you have to get an exception from the state. So a town like Clinton, because we do have roads that we maintain and, and property that maintain, we have a Department of Public Works. Small towns that, that maybe only have one person who will, and then they bring in contractors to do snow or, or cutting the grass, whatever it may be, they have to get an exception sometimes because they will not have a full Department of Public Works. That's fascinating. And uh, we didn't dwell on this too much, but I was really glad that you brought it up. Uh, would you be considered a strong mayor or a weak mayor? A strong mayor. Your, uh, so I vote on everything. The weak mayor will only vote in, to break a tie. Gotcha. And when you went through that spread of all the different sort of types of mm -hmm. towns, it seemed like there were about five different operations or oh, six no, or more. Because then what you can well. do is there, those are the basics, and then you can get a special charter to kind of tweak what you want for your form of government. There's a book, uh, it's called New Jersey's Municipal Madness. It was written by Alan Karcher, a former state senator. And it really kind of breaks down how New Jersey became the state of so many municipalities. It, it's Towns broke off 
you can liken it to kids in a, in a sandbox, right? I don't like playing with you, so I'm taking my toys and going away. That's what towns did. They're like, I don't like the way your rules are, so we're going to make our own town. And you had that happen quite a few times. It's happened less. Um, 1947 was the last constitutional convention, and that was when it kind of tapered off a little bit, although there still have been a few more. There have been some mergers, the two Princetons, Princeton Borough, Princeton Township merged. And then we had a small town of 12 or 14 people merge into another town. So that's how small some of them are. So if I'm picking up what you're putting down correctly, New Jersey specifically has an unusual amount of yes municipalities of, of municipality styles. So we're a home rule state, gotcha. which while the state does set mandates, it, it can't come into the town of Clinton and tell me how to govern. Uh, unless they were to come in and take us over, and that can only be done through an act of the legislature. And what is the other option if you are not a home rule state? It means there's more power given to the county and or state government to kind of set the guidelines for your community. So you may see, uh, and I don't know a lot about a lot, how a lot of other states work, but Pennsylvania has, is a commonwealth. A lot of their towns and their schools are, are set from a county perspective and I think some of the same thing happens in Florida as well. You know, it's not, it's kind of a hybrid of everything. But New Jersey, it's all about, this is mine and you can't touch it. I love it. <laughs> this, this job might take me many more years than I anticipated. I think it will. <laughs> so I'd love to break down a few other pieces of mm -hmm. what it means to be mayor. Just you sure. know, some basic things. Roles and responsibilities, some daily activity. You talked a little bit about your reports. Like, do you consider yourself having a boss? Like, just some of these. Uh, so my boss would be pieces, all yeah. of the constituents in the town of Clinton. Uh, they're the ones I report to. They're the ones that either give me the job or takes the job away from me. So you know, ultimately, my objective is to get them what they need or want where it's feasible, or give them alternatives where it's not. So, you know, the bear decides to show up in town, I will get a phone call. Garbage doesn't get picked up, I get a phone call. Power goes out, I get a phone call. And then I just start working the phones to figure out what I need to do to either find out why the power is out, usually it's an animal or a tree that's taken down a line. The bear, I'm not coming out of the house. I just tell everyone to steer clear. And then the garbage, it's reaching out to the garbage company to say, you missed a house and then they swing back around. And usually that's because they've got a new driver or someone maybe put it out later and they'd already come through the, the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it sounds like there's a lot of responding to constituents. So mm -hmm. I'd, I'd love for you to go through, you know, breaking down, let's say an average week. How many hours does it take? Are there normal hours? Are you responding to hundreds of phone calls? What's proactive versus reactive? A so little bit of that, yeah. I am never off. I, my phone is always on, so I will get calls any time of the day or night. Last week, was it last week we had the flooding? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it was. I was on the phone with the chief, our police chief, because he's our OEM coordinator, Office of Emergency Management, mm -hmm. and it's just making sure that we are watching the brook, watching the river, you know, if there's any issues that we need to address from, um, you know, evacuating people, or are they gonna shelter in place? opening up the community center for shelter if people needed to during Ida. We had to open it up because Old 22 flooded and some of the individuals were stranded. So 
we got him in in our car in the police cars brought him up to the community center and then once the waters receded they were able to kind of go back and and uh you know get to their cars get to their businesses get to their homes it could be i mean yesterday i was on a, a conference call uh with the crc the cannabis regulatory commission and they were kind of going through doing a public service announcement for different communities just kind of where the crc is what's going on these are some of the changes. These are some of the things that they're looking at, more of an FYI. I am part of the New Jersey League of Municipalities. I'm the past president, so I stay involved. I will spend time in, in Trenton. Liquor license reform has been a big issue that we've been focused on. So I've been down in Trenton testifying in front of the legislators, letting them know it's important. Same thing with uh, Christmas tree bonfires. It's very important for us to get our Christmas tree bonfire back. So um, we got both bills through the Assembly and the Senate. Now we're just waiting for the governor to give us the go-ahead that he's going to sign it so we can bring our Christmas tree Yuletide bonfire back. Uh, let's see, what else? I'd, I'd love to back that one up a little <laughs> bit and talk about that, right? Because I think it's it's interesting to think about, you know, what are some changes that yeah. you are able to sort of manifest for the town and, and how do you go about that a little bit? It really is all about relationships. So I've spent the last, I've been doing this now almost 20 years. You know, I got started in 20, 2003. It, it's about the relationships. It's about working across party lines. It's about helping out others so that when you need helping hand, they're they're there to help you as well. It really, it, it and, and it's getting in, in the faces of the legislators and those who are making the decisions because they got 564 municipalities. They're not always thinking about, you know, they may be thinking about Jersey City, but not Clinton. You know, it, two different types of communities. We're not a one-size-fits-all. So a big part of what I do is make sure that they all hear that we're all not a one-size-fits-all, whether they want to or not half the time. It is, it's helping fellow mayors, you know, kind of navigate, especially some of the newer mayors. It's been, COVID was hard. I had been doing it, but you're talking about municipal government, which was, I, I said municipal government was in the 1700s. We were still doing things on paper and we had to pivot quickly. So, you know, being able to transition to the 20th century, I'm not gonna quite put us in the 21st yet, but to be able to take payments online, to be able to work remotely and still address the needs of the constituents, you know, that was, that's important. And the way to do that is by, making connections, knowing who to call, knowing who to ask. My phone is full of people who I have either helped or have helped me. And usually I can get someone to the right person, if not the first time, the second time. But, you know, and, it, and it's making those phone calls, even when you don't really want to make the phone calls. You know, I, it doesn't, I think nothing of the fact that if I need to reach out to the governor, I will reach out to the governor and, and give him my two cents on what's going on. I guess in your tenure, mm -hmm. what's something that you're particularly proud of accomplishing for your constituents? Or Not something that you see, but because we have a water and sewer utility, when I first came in, it was, I don't want to say mish, uh, mishmash, because it wasn't a mishmash, but there wasn't a, a clear plan in place. We were reacting to situations. So water main breaks, we go in, we repair it. There, there wasn't a correlation between repaving a road and putting in new water mains or new sewer mains. So we put together, we started with the water company, put together an asset management plan that really looks at all that we have 
and helps us understand because we provide water not just to the town of Clinton but surrounding municipalities especially with as new development comes in you know they come to us and they're like well we need water and we didn't always have the best answers you know we had some old contracts out there that were just like never ending so we really streamlined the process we made sure that it was easy easier to uh, to do the processing um, we know where all of our water is allocated we know what our infrastructure is we have a little over 80 miles of water mains and we have a plan in place that if we don't have a major project going on we will replace a mile of pipe a year and that way it's always cheaper to maintain than it is to uh, react to a situation if we're proactive it's cheaper than reacting because a water main will hap- break will happen in the middle of the night on a holiday in the middle of a snowstorm rainstorm or something along those lines you know and it, it costs money so if we can be prepared and know uh, that to me is important so we've finished it for the, it's a breathing document so it's always changing same thing is happening with the sewer company and then financially when I first came in as mayor the town was was bleeding money there was we were spending it where we shouldn't have been spending it we hadn't had a process in place to do assessments so people were appealing their taxes I have it's a town of 2700 about 1100 line items we were averaging between 80 and 100 tax appeals a year that we were losing and that means we pay them back the difference but not just our portion we also paid back the school and the county's portion so we were bleeding money there we were part of a joint court which was we were basically covering the cost of the court for all the surrounding municipalities again it wasn't cost effective so we really made the hard decisions to you know to kind of do a reset we pulled out of the joint court we went to a shared court we did a reval throughout the entire town and put everyone back on a level playing field so now we're averaging two or three tax appeals a year and most of those are settled because we have an amazing tax assessor who will who will work with the homeowners and can justify whatever she's set the assessments at so it's nothing that you can see or touch but it really is putting us in a place that we are in a sound financial position COVID did not hurt us like it did a lot of other municipalities because we were prepared for it and we knew what we needed to do to make sure that we stayed prepared. That's great. Have there been any, you know, Bigfoot-esque projects that have been eluding you since your time in in mayor that you, that are? (sighs) A couple, you know, and and some of it because it's, the squeaky wheel always gets the oil, right? Um, It's always been something that we've, we've, we talk about and we keep a lot of plates spinning our playground is almost 30 years old and the last couple of years you know right before COVID hit we were kind of going through this process of you know figuring out what a redesign looked like and how we would do it how we would pay for it and then obviously COVID hit things got you know changed up a little bit priorities changed councils changed you know some people that decided never to be involved in politics again so you know new people coming in so it it was constantly trying to get people educated and so it's you know almost a four-year project and we are just just you know beginning to make the changes that need to happen and it's only a small piece of it you know the rest of the park still needs to be done as well so that's one really addressing the affordable housing we were in court so we were sued by a developer 
who had a piece of property who wanted to put in a crazy amount of housing and we were like yeah it's not going to happen so i was in court for a little over three years with them uh, we negotiated it down we negotiated with fair share housing which is kind of this oversight making sure that towns provide affordable housing and it's not an objection to affordable housing it's an objection to a developer for every one affordable unit they build they get to build four market rate units so that one affordable unit has now become five units and in a town of 1.3 square miles with you know 1100 or so line items that's significant when you're adding you know a thousand new housing units so we negotiated it down significantly and you know we're kind of still working through some of it round four of the affordable housing process happens in 2025 and i really i want to get ahead of it so that but i want to get ahead of it as a as a region with other mayors developers have deeper pockets than than towns do and and you want to be responsible when you're spending taxpayer dollars that it doesn't just get flushed down the toilet we've seen other towns that have fought affordable housing and you know what started out as 250 units becomes 2,000 units the goal is to make sure that doesn't happen and be responsible so i'm hoping that we can get a you know a group of communities together we talk through it and if we rally together and really look at it from a smart perspective again it's not about saying no to affordable housing it's it's saying do we have the infrastructure to build that much more and if you don't have it why are you forcing it so that's kind of where I'm at. Again, nothing, none of these are exciting projects, but these are the things that I think about on a regular basis and, and I care about. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. In my conversation with David, you know, that mm-hmm. came up as well, and he mentioned that that's something that constituents get very excited about, yes. you know, development. And his, you know, commentary was that people think sometimes, you know, our elected officials have a lot more influence over yeah. the ability to accept or reject development than they may actually have the no. ability to control and that that's a that's a the hardest thing to part yeah. for everyone to understand you know you've got the municipal land use law which really sets the parameters and it's private property you know it, it, the town doesn't no town has endless amounts of money unless you're jersey city or nork to to buy property up so you know for us it's it, it's trying to strike that balance and our ordinances are set you know, it's our local laws to, to, again, be respectful of private property owners because I don't want to wind up in court because I've restricted a private property owner to the extent where they can't do anything with their property, uh, but finding that balance that how it works. And, and I get it. People don't want to see development in their backyard. If they've been looking at an open field for the last 20 years, you want to continue seeing it. But I always point out, so the town of Clinton was established back in the 1700s. All of us, other than Center Street and Main Street, and probably West Main Street, are all new developments that have all been built. My development where I live, I remember, because I grew up here, I remember when they were putting this in and people were going to the land use board meetings complaining. When the Rachel Court development was going in, they were taking away the soccer fields. Oh my goodness, we're taking away all the soccer fields. And now it's the same thing. You've got other property and people like, I don't want to look at housing. I get it. And if we had endless amounts of money that we could buy the property and preserve it, I, that's great. But, you know, now you take it out of, a, out of the rateable base. So now your taxes, not only are you paying for it, but now you're not getting any revenue from it. And that's our only revenue comes from the property taxes, the 25% that I keep. 
That's fascinating. What, uh, what surprised you most about this job versus perhaps what you expected coming into it originally? Probably the fact that we don't have as much control as we, we would like to believe we do. You know, we talk about home rule, but there are still, you know, there's, there's a state statute for everything. And being able to control my own destiny is uh, sometimes frustrating when I, when I don't have it. You know, I stomp my foot like a child and complain, and then I figure a way around. So along those very lines, is there a sort of power in your role that you wish you had that you don't have? No, I mean, I think a lot of it is we each create the role to be our own. There's not a, a, a set of rules, hard and fast, other than what, what's set in the ordinance as far as, you know, making appointments, running the meetings, um, setting the agenda. It, it's each person makes the job what they want it to be. I mean, I have made – I'm lucky because I don't have to work full-time that I can make this my full-time job. And I can commit my – all the time that I have to making sure that things get done in town. It's not – not everyone can. Not every town looks at it that way. There are a number of mayors that I've worked with that couldn't tell you, you know, what their budget is. They, they vote on it. They go through it once a year. They vote on it, and then that's it. They don't know the specifics of it. And then there's other mayors that, that get into the weeds of everything. I have bored many a person as I discuss budgets or infrastructure with them. But, again, it's... It's important to know because, and this is how I've always looked at it, I don't care if you've got to give me bad news, but I want to know it before the resident calls me with it. Because if I don't know what's happening and the resident calls me, then it looks like we're not communicating. I'm not communicating with my staff. So, I, I mean, and we, we're lucky. We have an amazing staff in Clinton. Everyone, some of the people grew up locally. So, you know, they have a vested interest. Some of them have been here with us for more years than I've been here, but it really is about creating a well-oiled machine that, that works together. I like that answer. Is there anything that, I guess, mayors such as in, in a municipality such as the one you run, mm -hmm. are there any, you know, powers or, or abilities that the mayor has or, you know... Perform you, weddings? Well, that you don't think they should have. Oh, that they shouldn't have. Oh, yeah. um... No, because there's a there's always a checks and balance because you've got a council. So while I can veto something, they can still override. It for what this does is most of our forms of government force us to work together because you need a, a majority to be able to get anything passed. And we try not to do anything ever during uh, long party lines, you know. And and the the makeup of councils will change from year to year sometimes, not just here, but everywhere you know i think we've seen a group of younger people who are now engaged that may not have been engaged before and those who are you know ready to retire who've been doing it for you know 40 50 years are like all right i can take a step back but i don't think that there's anything that we have that is kind of gives me the power to do anything that someone would say oh my god she shouldn't be able to do that you know it's a little bit different than the way the governor the governor can issue executive orders now we did when we have a state of emergency technically the oem officer is the one in charge uh which is our chief of police he and i work really well together 
And all during COVID, we stayed in communication to make sure that we were both in agreement with whatever it was that needed to get done. And and really what it was was enforcing the executive orders. We didn't have the ability to override the executive orders. Was that time period considered a state of emergency that you're speaking of? Yes, that all during COVID. I think they just lifted the state of emergency this past May. So we had almost three years or a little over three years um, with the state of emergency in some way. And it, and it made things... Uh, well, while the chief didn't actually run everything, when it came to stuff that we need to take care of or dealing with any COVID compliance, he was the one that we all went to. You know, he was the one that was getting it from the county OEM, who was getting it from the state OEM. I got it from my counterparts at the, the league, and we what we'd always make sure of is that there was a consistency in our messaging. Well, that's interesting. So the, the operation shifted for about three years and then went back or something yeah Yeah, i mean and you didn't see that shift yeah because it really was um you know like i said he and i our council meetings everything i still ran everything but when we had to incorporate changes they all came through through the the oem office that's wild how much if any do national politics impact your job it shouldn't impact at all you know, it doesn't really matter from a party perspective because we all fill potholes and pick up trash the same way. But unfortunately, because of the dynamics of what we're dealing with nationally, it does kind of trickle down sometimes. We try to keep it out. I mean, I, I, I never engage my personal politics at a state and, and national level, never come into play in, in the work that I do in town. I don't look at anyone based on their party affiliation. I don't look at anyone based on whether they voted for me or not. I mean, to me, it doesn't matter. It's like the election is over. I'm here to do a job, and I do a job. I take an oath of office that says I am, you know, uphold the Constitution of New Jersey and the Constitution of the the United States. That is my role. Uh, And, you know, not everyone always agrees. You know, there have been people who have come through who are like, but but I don't agree with, with those other individuals. You don't have a choice. You represent everyone. It's, you know, that's what's important. And if you can keep that in mind and, and just keep the whoever, whatever their, their personal politics out of it and just recognize that this is a, a resident of your community that needs something, whether they need information, they need help, guidance, whatever it may be, your job is to provide it. So, you know, I, I try to compartmentalize that. And I try not to listen to too much of the national politics. I mean, some of it you can't help, but, you know, it's not going to change how I do my job, regardless of who is at the national or state level or the county level. I have a job to do, which is to make sure my constituents have what they need to be successful in this community. I like that answer. And it irritates (laughs) both parties, so. Yeah. How do you engage with your constituents? What's the best way for them to keep in touch with you, to engage with what's going on in the town, and and to participate? So it depends. I mean, I obviously have social media, so I'm I'm on social media, and if someone tags me in a post or sends me a message, I respond that way. Phone calls, uh, text messages. As I'm jogging in the morning, people will stop me and you know ask questions. I'm always available, and and my number is out there publicly. Uh, I try to put it out as much as possible. And and while I try not to read too much on social media because I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, 
sometimes it, it you know it goes down a, a, a rabbit hole that just isn't even logical but if I see something out there you know I'll put my number like listen give me a call happy to have a conversation our council meetings are open to the public and I also do them via zoom so if, if people don't want to come into the building they can you know sign in either through their phone or their computer and watch what's going on we just we try to do as much as I've done a couple of town halls you know depending on the issue of the day we did a town hall on cannabis when that was first kind of coming around uh, we did a town hall on our new police building that we needed that I had gotten the state to give me three million dollars to do so it didn't cost taxpayers we've done town halls on affordable housing you know anything that I think will generate interest you know we try to make sure people have the agenda out online you know I always encourage like you got a question you know I, I, I channel Allie McGarren you can complain and be part of the problem or step up to play and be part of the solution I can't answer questions I don't know you know it, it's putting it out just on social media doesn't get you the answer that you want necessarily but if you call me I can at least give you the accurate answer I love it uh, just a couple questions left sure if you were going to give advice to somebody who wanted to be mayor of their town mm -hmm. what would you tell them you have to have a passion for it you, you can't do this just because you think it's gonna be fun there's fun times but there's some not so fun times you know when there's disasters when Sandy hit and you know the town is out of power when the buildings get flooded and you want to help clean out you really really have to have a passion and you have to have a thick skin because not everyone is going to agree with you and you got to know that everything that you're doing is you're doing it for the right reason if it's not the popular reason if you could put a billboard up in uh, the town of clinton with anything you wanted on it what would you say oh, let's see we believe we could you know it, it for me it's really just about believing in everything that we can get done I like it. Is there anything that you think we didn't cover? No, I think that you, is worth sharing today. You, you covered a lot. I mean, I th this is this is a good opportunity for you to talk to uh, mayors in different forms of government and understand. We don't all do things the same way. We may have the same end goal. How we get there is different, you know, and that can be based on our party affiliation. You know, how we think we're going to do it. But in all honesty, we all try to work together. You know, we, 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 as much as we joke with one another and harass one another, ultimately, while my borders may only be 1.3 square miles, you know, I have people that come from all over the county and the, the state to this town, and I want to be able to, you know, serve all of them, anyone who comes. And I think all the other mayors work the same way. So I think this is, you're going to get some interesting answers, but you're going to be well-educated. Well, I very much appreciate it, Janice. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time and all the lovely anecdotes and <laughs> advice you shared today. So thank well, you thank so Thank you much. for having me. I'm always here to answer whatever I can. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another podcast of 60 Second Democracy. I hope that you enjoy what you're learning here. I know I'm learning a lot. Please leave comments, subscribe, and in general, let me know whether you're enjoying this, whether you have ideas for other ways to approach this or other folks to interview to learn more about what's happening in your town or your democracy. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on all platforms where podcasts are available. Thanks for listening.